Well, as we edge towards the end of the series on Joseph, we're in the twilight years of Jacob's life where he's coming to the end and in our picture today, he's really on his deathbed and um, he really wasn't expecting to have uh, this wonderful blessing at the end of his life, if you remember, when he uh, went on this undesirable journey that he had to go on down to Egypt, leaving Canaan, he basically seems like he thought he would just see Joseph and then die on arrival. But God had something much better in store for him than dying on arrival when he got down there. In fact, God had another 17 years for Jacob in what became the most fruitful season of his life. Remember, the 17 years with Joseph were matching the first 17 years that he had with him before he was, Joseph was betrayed and thrown into this pit. And so there's a guy called Griffith Thomas who's reflecting on the, these twilight years of Jacob's life and um, reflecting on this question. He asks the question, how can you enjoy the most fruitful season of your life? Because this was the most fruitful season of Jacob's life. And he says there's four things. And the first thing, like Jacob, you need, the key, is that you need to look upwards in faith. Uh, can you remember when he had to go on this undesirable journey down to Egypt? Can you remember what he did? He stopped by Beersheba, this place where his ancestors had met with God. And so he was looking upwards by faith for God's help. And we saw how we, if we draw near to God, he draws near to us. And so this fruitful season started with him looking upwards by faith. But the second key is that you need to look backwards with gratitude. Because uh, remember what uh, Jacob said when he arrived and met Pharaoh for the first time, and he, he was looking backwards on his life. And can you remember the two words that he used to describe his life as he looked back on it? Can you remember what the two words were? He said, few and evil. Few, that was 130, which you kind of go, all right, few if you say so. And, and evil was um, how he looked back on his life. But can you remember, 17 years later, we get another testimony of Jacob's life where he's, he's had a completely complete transformation and now he looks back with gratitude. Can you remember what he says at the end of his life? He says, the Lord who has been my shepherd all the days of my life until now, the angel who has delivered me from all evil. And so this fruitful season of his life came where he was looked upwards by faith, but he was able to look backwards with gratitude. But not only did he look backwards, we also see that he was able to look forwards with hope. Um, I want you to see that in the text in um, Genesis 49 that we've had read, the first reading, verse 18. Um, he's talking to his sons and he's blessing them, but then he breaks out in this kind of moment in verse 18 from talking to his sons. And do you see what he says in verse 18? He says, I wait for your salvation, Lord. I wait for your salvation. He's looking forward to God's salvation. He's looking forward in hope. And you know, um, there's this um, famous chapter, if you know your Bibles, you know it well, Hebrews chapter 11. Um, it's the kind of great hall of fame where you look at all these um, faithful uh, heroes of the faith and, and Jacob gets a mention. And, and, and what the writer in Hebrews 11 is saying is that all of these heroes, they were looking forward with hope to a heavenly city that, that cannot be shaken. They were looking forward to a heavenly city. And um, Jacob gets a mention in Hebrews 11 verse 21, and it's actually mentions, the mention that he gets is, is the scene that we're going to be looking at today in, in, verse, in chapter 49. It says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons 
of Joseph. Uh, sorry, that's the actual, he blessed the sons in the previous chapter, but we see a continuation of him um, looking forward with faith by passing on these blessings. And so there's, there's a fourth key that Griffith Thomas uh, talks about uh, to having a fruitful season in your life. And the last one, that is looking outwards with love, looking outwards with love. And this is where we're going to be spending our time this morning. Jacob is looking outwards with love because what do we see him doing in chapter 49? He's looking outwards with love. He's blessing his sons. And so that's where we're going to be spending our time this morning. And remember that Genesis is really a book of blessing because when we go back to the very first chapter when God made the world, you know what he did when he made it? He blessed it, it says in Genesis chapter 1. And then God made humans. And you know what he did when he made them? He blessed them. And now we go from the start of Genesis now to the penultimate chapter at the end of Genesis chapter 49. What do we see Jacob doing? Blessing. He's blessing his sons. And so this book is a book of blessing. And it's about God's desire to bless the world. And then, of course, there's the famous promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 that we keep on mentioning. It's just such an important part of the Bible, Genesis 12, 1 to 3. And can you remember what God said to Abraham at that point in the story? I will bless you and through you all of the nations of the world will be blessed. And so that's, what we, that's where we end. That's where it started. That's where it was in Abraham. And that's where the story ends of Genesis chapter 49. Despite all the evil in the world and the spread of sin and suffering, God's purpose is not to curse. God is determined that all of the nations will be blessed, but it's going to happen through Abraham and through Abraham's seed. And so I want you to picture chapter 49 with me. The scene today is that Jacob is 147 years old. He's on his deathbed. And can you imagine him lying there? And he gathers his sons around him to give them one final blessing. It says in verse 1, and I hope you'll have... Uh, 49 in front of you, because we're going to be looking at this blessing. He says, gather around that I may tell you what will happen in the days to come. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jacob is given a prophetic um, insight into what's going to happen in the days to come with each of his 12 sons. He's speaking prophetically. So why do we say that this is a blessing? Why do we say that this is a story about blessing? Well, it's because of what it says in verse 28. Have a look with me. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, blessing each one of them with a suitable blessing. Three times it says in verse 28 that this is about blessing. If I were to sum up this chapter in one word, it would be blessed. If I were to sum, uh, sum it up with one phrase, it would be blessed to be a blessing. But I want you to notice two things about this verse 28 firstly, and still by way of introduction. And that is that he sa it says, these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and not these are the 12 sons of Israel. Surely these are the sons of Israel and not the tribes. Why does it say tribes? Well, of course, these 12 sons represent the 12 tribes of Israel. They represent the people of God. They're the first fruits of of the promise. They're going to multiply and become a great nation. And so in the same way that the 12 disciples that Jesus chose represent the church and us and the people of God, so these 12 sons represent the 12 tribes who are the people of God. 
And so that's the first thing. So by way, so we can hear God speaking to us as we hear Jacob speaking to the 12 sons as representatives of the people of God. That's the first thing. The second thing I want you to notice in verse 28 is that it says, Jacob blessed each one of them with a suitable blessing, with a suitable blessing. In other words, even though all these guys were brothers and they were in the same family and they had the same dad, they were incredibly different and they were incredibly diverse. And so he didn't give the same blessing to each of the 12. No, he blessed them with a suitable blessing for each one of them because they were diverse. Uh, Ian Duguid says, the list of Jacob's family uh, highlights the diversity of the people whom God calls into his family. Uh, when everyone arrived in Egypt, it would have been a rather odd family reunion. Some were rich and influential, like Joseph. Can you imagine Joseph? He's the prime minister. He's in his Egyptian garb. He's got his makeup on. This is a diverse family, rich and influential. But others were nobodies, like Jarzil, Guni, Jezer, and Shilam. They never get another mention in the Bible. There were inept misfits, like Reuben, efficient swindlers, like Jacob, and those with a history of sexual sin, like Judah, all there together as a family, and God was at work, as diverse as they were, in every one of them. And Jacob blesses them with a suitable blessing. Now, I think a principle that we can derive from this is that in order for us to become a blessing to others, we need to be able to know them. We need to be able to know what they're like. For, in order for us to give a suitable blessing for an individual, we need to know what the blessing is that they need, don't we? And in order for us to get to know them, it's going to require a little bit more than a chit-chat over morning tea for a couple of minutes after church, isn't it? In order for us to give a suitable blessing to the family of God, we're going to need to be able to get to know them so that the blessing suits that individual, aren't we? And that's what Jacob does to give a suitable blessing to his sons because they're family. They spend a lot of time together as family. Now, we could look at this um, blessing, um, the 12 different blessings for the 12 different sons, but I think that'll be a little bit onerous. So I've tried to bunch up uh, three themes of these blessings to some of the sons, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. And the first thing uh, with some of the brothers I want you to notice is that they were blessed and warned. There were some brothers who were blessed and warned. There were other brothers who were blessed and encouraged. And there were other brothers who were blessed and honoured. Now, you might have uh, listened to the first reading and uh, thought to yourself, well, how on earth is that a blessing? Uh, that doesn't sound like a blessing. That sounds to me more like a curse. But I want you to think about it in the big picture and think, realise that they, these brothers were indeed blessed because they were the chosen people of God. They were set apart to be a holy nation. These brothers were very much blessed. They were the people of God chosen by God. And I want you to also think about the fact that when we fast forward to the book of Joshua, when, the, when the, they took the promised land and the 12 tribes, tribes settled in the promised land, that these brothers were blessed. They had a place in the promised land, God had a place for them. And so these brothers were indeed richly blessed. But um, I, I'm actually reminded um, as, as we go through and picture this scene of Jacob um, giving a suitable blessing to different um, of, of the brothers, I'm actually reminded I was brought forward as I was um, thinking about it to 
Um, what Paul says we're supposed to do as a family for each other in giving suitable blessings for one another. Because the Apostle Paul, he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, listen to what Paul says to us. He says, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. So there are people who need to be warned. Encourage the disheartened. And so there are disheartened people who need to be encouraged and help the weak, the Apostle Paul says, and be patient with everyone. And so this is the, uh, the suitable blessing that we're to give to one another, and it needs to be tailor-made. I mean, how difficult um, and, and what a danger there is that the people who need to be encouraged end up feeling warned, and the people who need to be warned end up feeling encouraged. And we can do that because of the, our, our filters, can't we, and, and, and the way in which we hear things. And, and, and so we need to be able to give a suitable blessing to each one, and we see Jacob doing that in our scene today. And so the first three sons that he says uh, to them, and this is our first part today, he says, you are blessed, but you need to be warned to his first three sons. You're blessed, but you need to be warned. And so uh, if you ask the question, why does God need to warn us? Why do, we, why do we need to be warned? And by the way, we do need to be warned. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1 that we as Christians have been blessed with every spiritual blessing that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're also being blessed. But later on in Ephesians, he says to the church, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. And so we're also blessed and we also need to be warned. And the question is, why do Christians, why does God's body need to be warned? And the answer, of course, is that we still live in the flesh. We still feel, feel the pull of the flesh. And so the flesh is able to trip us up, the flesh inside Christians, and it's able to cause us to make a shipwreck of our faith. And so we need to be warned against that danger, that very real danger. As the great hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And so we need to be warned because of the pull of the flesh. And so when we take a look at Reuben in verse 3, uh, you'll see that it looks like the particular sins that Jacob is warning him about are the sins of pride because he went up into his father's bed. You'll remember that uh, story. Uh, he was brazenly pr proud in defying his father and the sin of sexual immorality. Look at verse 3. Reuben, you're my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my vigor, excelling in rank and excelling in power. Now, this looks like he's the kind of guy that we would tend to envy. I mean, he's he, he, he's the kind of guy that I would have thought we'd be very jealous of. I mean, he's gifted, he's talented, he's competent, he's, he's charismatic. I mean, he's excelling in rank and power. Isn't that what we all want and chase after in this world? I mean, if we read on, though, in verse 4, we'll see that he was all style and no substance. He was charismatic, but he didn't have any character. He prized his gifting over his godliness. Verse 4 says, unstable as water, you shall no longer excel because you went up onto your father's bed. 
And so here's another story that we hear week after week of someone with incredible gifts and incredible privileges and incredible opportunities making a shipwreck of everything that they have and everything that they are because of a lack of character. They're all charisma and no character. They're all style and no substance. And don't we see this every single week, whether it's in the church or in the world, in our celebrity-driven culture, people who, who are given uh, maybe an extra dose of, of gifting that might make us jealous of them, but they lack godliness and end up making a shipwreck of their entire faith. I'll go for too long if I start mentioning names, but we're seeing it constantly in the media and in the church. And so Reuben, I think, stands to us as a warning about style over substance about investing our time into our good looks more than we do into our godliness and becoming unstable as water. That's the warning for Reuben, that his pride and his sexual sin is going to trip him up. But now let's see the warning for Simeon and Levi in verse 7, because it's very clear that their problem is different to the problem of Reuben, that his particular sin and that he needs to be warned against is the sin of anger. Have a look at verse 7. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Simeon and Levi, I want you to know that you are blessed, you are chosen, you are sons of the living God, but I want you to know that the way in which Satan will trip you up and the way that he has learned to trip you up is not with, through pride and sexual sin like with Reuben, but it's with your quick temper and your short fuse. You see, Simeon, Levi, it doesn't take much to make you angry. Just a little bit of provocation and you explode just like a bomb and it causes all kinds of destruction to the people around you and that's why it'll cause you to divide and scatter because, you know, that's what your anger does. It explodes and divides people. And, you know, people don't really want to be anywhere near you because you're very prickly and they don't know what's, when the next time that you're going to explode is. Simeon and Levi, I'm warning you, if you don't cry out to God for help for your anger, it's going to get you into all kinds of trouble. This is the warning that some people need to hear. This is the sin that some people struggle with. And the, the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians said, do not let your, the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil a foothold. Your anger gives the devil a foothold. And so we wake up to ourselves and we're warned and we're given the opportunity this morning by the Holy Spirit to see just how seriously God's Word and God deals with the sin of anger and just how destructive it can be. And to bring that to the foot of the cross and to cry out to God as we say in the liturgy and we might even get to it this morning that the, the cross frees us from hate and frees us from anger and so to bring that to the foot of the cross to find freedom this morning. Some brothers, the first three, Reuben, Simeon and Levi, are blessed, but they need to be warned. Well, let's look then at the, the other brothers, uh, verses 19 to 21, who are also blessed, but they need to be encouraged. They need to be encouraged. These are brothers like Naphtali and Dan and Asher and Gad. Uh, firstly, Dan and Gad, it, this, it seems like the gift that they have is the gift of, of fighting and protecting. Look at verse 17. Dan shall be a snake by the roadside, 
that bites the horse's heels so that its riders falls, rider falls backwards. Uh, now, what's this on about? Well, I think what we're seeing is that um, in Joshua, when they, uh, different tribes settled the land, um, the reality was that when they settled the land, they were going to be under constant attack from the Philistines, from the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Assyrians, the Babylonians. They were going to be under constant attack from the people, enemies around them. And, and the easternmost flank of um, Israel was, um, was where the enemies would come from, and that was the land that Dan had taken. Dan was going to be the first tribe that they came to when the enemy invaders came to attack the people of Israel. And so Dan and Gad have been given this gift of, of fighting and protecting. And of course, uh, the Bible says that uh, shepherds, God gives to the church, to the people of God, shepherds. And one of the roles of the shepherds is to protect the sheep from wolves, right? Right? And, and Jesus says to, to us, to his disciples, you must be as wise as serpents, but as innocent as doves. And I think God has given to his church people who have that, that gifting and that propensity to, um, to fight and to protect. And God has says that shepherds are to do that for God's people. They're, and remember that the, the wolves come in sheep's clothing. And so they come to devour the sheep. And I think the Lord Jesus warns us in the Bible, tells us that there's, there's two kinds of wolves that we're to look out for. And, and the first kind are those with faulty character, where their character doesn't match up the teaching of Scriptures. But the second kind are faulty, false teachers, faulty character and false teachers. And we're to be on the lookout and we're to be defending God's people from wolves such as that. And I wonder how many of us would be able to uh, discern from the pulpit when someone gets up whether we'd be able to discern false teaching or whether we just take it for granted that whoever comes and steps up and teaches from God's Word is actually teaching the, the truth because the case is in many pulpits around the place that that's not the case. And so this is a very important gift in the church of the shepherd who is able to fight for the sheep and to protect the sheep. And that's the gift of Dan and Gad, although I'm spiritualizing what was actually quite literal in the Old Testament, where they were fighting literally for God's people. And that's the gift of Dan and Gad. And they're blessed and they need to be encouraged to use that gift on behalf of God's people. But I want you to see the gift that Asher has in verse 20, because he looks as though he's got the gift of hospitality and the gift of wealth and riches. Verse 20, Asher's food shall be rich and he shall provide royal delicacies. And so by God's grace, Asher, they've probably got a fertile place in the land when they've settled in the land. And by God's grace, he's going to be wealthy. He's going to be rich. He's going to, that tribe's going to have a lot of resources. But of course, the reason God has given Asher and that tribe all of that wealth and all of those riches is not so they can store it up and keep it for themselves, but so that they can share it with others, with God's people, and to grow God's kingdom. And of course, the same is true for us. There are people in our midst who have the wonderful gift of hospitality and also the wonderful gift of wealth and riches. And God has given that, those gifts to us, not in order for us to store them up for ourselves, but in order to share with God's people and to grow God's church. So here's what Jacob is saying to these sons who have been blessed and gifted, but they need to be encouraged. You are blessed, and you've been wonderfully gifted. You need to see that. You need to see that you've been gifted and that God's given you a gift. I want you to be encouraged in that. 
to know that you've got gifts and to know that God has given them to you so that you can use them to bless and build up the people around you. It's what we call every member ministry in the church where we use our gifts to bless one another. Here's how Pastor Rick Warren puts it. I think it's very helpful. God gave me a gift, not for me, but for you. God gave you a gift, not for you, but for me. If you don't use your gift, you're depriving me. And if I don't use my gift, then I'm robbing you. You see, these sons are blessed. They've been gifted, but they need to be encouraged to use those gifts to serve his brothers. Some brothers are blessed and they need to be warned. Other brothers are blessed and they need to be encouraged. And finally, there are brothers who are blessed, particularly Judah, who need to be honoured. And there are four things that I want you to see briefly about this obvious prophecy about the Lord Jesus as Jacob speaks to Judah. And I want you to see that it's a prophecy of the Lord Jesus many thousands of years before he came. And join with me in verse 10, where the NIV, uh, Jacob says to his son Judah, the scepter. Now, what's a scepter? It's the symbol of the king's authority, right? The scepter will not depart from Judah. In other words, he's going to have a son who's going to be king and that king's going to have a son who's going to be king and so on and so forth. And, and then it says, um, the ruler's staff will not, uh, uh, will not leave between his feet until he to whom the scepter belongs shall come. Now, um, you've got a note here that um, your NRSV has put uh, that phrase slightly differently, but if you look at the footnote B, you'll see that there's three um, variations of how that can be taken, and the most popular one amongst translations is the final translation that you'll see at point B there, which is that um, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's star from between his feet, until he to whom the scepter belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his." This is a very clear prophecy about a king, a coming king. And of course, it was fulfilled initially in King David, because what tribe was King David from, do you know? Well, yes, he was from the tribe of Judah. And so that was the initial fulfillment. So many hundreds of years after this prophecy of the king being from the tribe of Judah. But then, of course, the ultimate fulfillment, to whom the obedience of the nations belongs, is King Jesus, because he also was from, he was the son of David. He was from the tribe of Judah. That's why they call him the son of David. But I want to go through this text with you. And I want you to see these, it's Hebrew poetry. And I want to see what is being described here about this coming king. Because the first thing we get in 9b is a picture of power. It says he crouches down, he stretches out like a lion. And so if you're familiar with the phrase, the lion of Judah, well, here it is. This is where it comes from. He's like a lion. This is one of Judah's descendants. And it's a picture of power. But in verse 11, we also see a picture of prosperity. Uh, Look at what it says in verse 11. He says, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. Now, this is Hebrew poetry that's several thousand years old, and so it does take a little bit of deciphering, but I just want you to imagine what is a donkey going to do if you hitch it up to a luscious vine with lots of low-hanging fruit? What's it going to do? 
It's going to eat all the grapes, all of these delicious grapes, right? And, and, but here's the point. Judah, this descendant of Judah, is going to be so rich that he just doesn't care because he's got a hundred other vineyards with a hundred other more fruitful vines. And so he really can afford for his donkey to eat all of these precious grapes and del- delicious fruit because he's wealthy. It would be like the modern equivalent of taking a cigar and lighting a $100 bill and, and lighting a cigar with a $100 bill. So this descendant is going to be rich. It's a picture of prosperity. Uh, but I want you to see as well in verse 11 that we get a picture of judgment where he says, he washes his garments in wine and his robe in the blood of grapes. And so there's a picture of, of judgment here. Of course, when you squash a grape, it, it bleeds out the juice. But there's a picture here of that's what happens to humans as well. When you, when you squash them, they, they bleed. And, and this is a picture of a coming king who's going to be judge, who's going to bring judgment upon evil, which, by the way, I'm very much grateful for when I see the atrocities in Ukraine, that there is a king who's going to come and he's going to judge the living and the dead. I praise God for that. And this is the picture that we have here. This king is going to come and bring judgment. But finally, in verse 12, we also get a picture of beauty. It says, his eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. And so this coming king is going to be breathtakingly beautiful. And remember, Jacob is saying, I'm telling you about the things that are going to come. Verse 1, I'm telling you what will happen in the days to come. And this is thousands of years before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, this is exactly how everyone felt on Palm Sunday, when they saw Jesus riding his donkey into Jerusalem. It says in John chapter 12, verse 13, a great crowd took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. You see, they're looking at Jesus riding in on, on this donkey and they could see that he was all of these things prophesied in Genesis chapter 49, that he's the king. He's the lion of Judah. He's the king of the world. He's the mighty judge. And he's this beautiful man of God that they've been with for three years and seeing what a beautiful man of God that he is. And they're calling out to him on Palm Sunday saying, blessed is he, the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But only five days later, on the Friday, the powerful lion would become the sacrificial lamb. The king of the world would be stripped completely naked and beaten, mocked and scorned. The judge of the whole world, just five days later, would become a crucified criminal on the cross. And this beautiful man of God, who was the perfect representation of God the Father, in the way that he loved, in the way that he served, this beautiful man of God would be marred beyond recognition with whips and nails and a crown of thorns. And so it's no wonder, as we pick up the scene in Revelation chapter 5, our second reading, as thousands upon thousands are gathered around the throne, that they say that the one who is worthy to receive power and riches and glory and honour and strength. Who is that one? They say it's the Lion of Judah. 
but against all expectations, especially on Palm Sunday as they were crying out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the world. Against all expectations, the Lion of Judah is the Lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. And so we see that the promise of blessing way back to Abraham, I will bless you and all of the nations will be blessed through you, come from Jacob as he blesses his sons and he blesses his sons Judah. And we see that the promise of that blessing is ultimately fulfilled in King Jesus, the Lion of Judah, who took the curse for us on the cross so that in him we might be richly blessed. In order that we become a blessing like Jacob to others because we have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus our Lord so that we can be a blessing. That's who we are. That's our birthright and that's our heritage. And so if you would come to King Jesus this morning, I don't care if you've come a thousand times before, if you would come to him this morning and see what it is that he's done for you on the cross and believe that he is the loved and favoured son who indeed is not dead, but God rose him again from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God and you would come and bow down before him and acknowledge him as the Lion of Judah, the Lamb who was slain, then you indeed too will be richly blessed with every spiritual blessing that is in Christ Jesus so that you can go out into the world and be a blessing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, the Lion of Judah who became the Lamb who was slain for our sins so that we could be blessed. Father, for those of us this morning who need to be warned about the indwelling power of sin that can trip us up and make a shipwreck of our faith, would you help us to heed your warning this morning? Father, for those of us who need to be encouraged, we're made in your image, we're deeply valuable, we have been gifted and we've been given those gifts in order that we can share them with others. Father, would you help us to be encouraged? And most of all, Lord, would you help us to bow our knee before the Lion of Judah, the one who is worthy of all honour and glory and power and praise and in the power of the Spirit to worship him and to bow down before him and to say, you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing.